0: So we're going to continue this week talking about some of the parables of Jesus. And uh, um, as we talk about this one, you know, the, we're going to talk a little bit about risk with this. So I thought, you know, what we ought to do first is kind of define that. If you uh, look up in Merriam-Webster, you find that risk is a noun and the different uh, definitions here, possibility of loss or injury, uh, peril, uh, someone or something that creates or suggests a hazard. Now, just a little side note, you know, someone that suggests a hazard, you know what that is, Right. It's a guy. You know, someone that has on his headstone, you know, hey, watch this. Um, I'm just saying. We, you got to know who we are, you know, right? We got to own it. Uh, the chance and probability of loss or perils to the subject matter of an insurance contracts, and the chance and probability that a commodity will lose value. Now, that last one reminds us, and your, your uh, broker people would remind you that, you know, the, there's kind of a, a relationship between risk and reward, that, uh, you know, if you, if you stay safe and you do something with low risk, you're probably going to get a low reward. And if you're, you're willing to kind of be a little more, uh, you know, courageous or sometimes foolish, uh, and go something with a higher risk. There's an opportunity for higher reward, but there's also an opportunity for greater loss. And and all of us have uh, some kind of a balance uh, in that about you know where we're comfortable, how much risk we're comfortable with, um, and, and what we think the reward from that will be. A couple of years back, we were in uh, Cindy and I were in Florida. I was there for a conference, and, uh, and so she came with us, and we were in St. Augustine, and, and she blessed me by uh, doing something that I'd, I'd wanted to do for a long time, which was to go parasailing. And, you know, in my mind, you know, parasailing is, is you know, the risk isn't that great, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're tied to a boat, and you've got a parachute over you, so, you know, I mean, pretty much no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. Uh, and, and so I was really looking forward to it. Cindy was up all night, <laughs> because to her, this was kind of terrifying, uh, and so well, it felt a lot riskier to her than it did to me. And, and when we went up, actually, we, we had a wonderful time. If you've ever done it, you know, once you get way up there, you're up so high, you can hardly hear the boat down there at all. And you can see for miles and miles and miles. And, you know, we're looking down in the Atlantic and there's dolphins and things like that. We can see. Uh, so we, we just had a wonderful time. But but for me, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and, and was rewarding, but I, I didn't feel that risky. Uh, but she was really pumped because she'd been so nervous about it, so to, to do it and and enjoy it was a tremendous reward and all of us have those kinds of you know balances you know risk and reward and 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 and, you know where we're comfortable and, and how much it is and 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 this morning i want to ask you as we kind of move into this in your in your faith life um where where's that balance point for you where is it uh what are you willing to risk and and uh how much reward are you expecting from that let's pray Lord, we ask you to come and be present with us in confidence and in courage. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in the 10th chapter of Luke, a story, a parable of Jesus is recalled. Just then a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Now, now, right off the bat, you know, for me at least, and I'm pretty sure for Jesus that day, that's, that's the wrong question uh, because eternal life all through Scripture is presented as a gift. And so, you know, you don't do anything to get or deserve a gift. A gift is given freely by the giver, the one that gives it to you. If you have to do something to earn the gift. It's not a gift, it's compensation. Uh, it's not the same thing. Uh, a gift is freely given. So, so the fact that the scholar would, would, would ask that question, one tells us he's, he is testing, but also he, he's, he's not really understanding all of this very fully. The other part of that is, is this little part where he says, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Because the gift is given by God, so what do I need to do? Um. You know, all of us uh, sometimes uh, have a little trouble uh, letting go of our control of things and, you know, so forth. And, and so sometimes, you know, we, we get into this thing where instead of trusting God for things, we want to have, you know, the list of things we're supposed to do, you know, the five easy things to salvation, you know, uh, the, the ten easy things you can do to find true happiness in your life. We love those lists, don't we? You know, if you're on the Internet, they're all over there. You know, here, if you'll just do these five things or these ten things or whatever it is, you know, everything will come up smelling roses, those kinds of deals. So you know, we, we like that because we can take hold of that. And we can hold on to that. And we can control that. And, and what Scripture asks us to do is—I mean, God tells us what He wants us to do. But really, in the end, the, the ultimate thing is you have to trust in God. And you know, you have to trust in the Giver of the gift. Now, I don't know about your family, but you know, in our family, once in a while, uh, you know, you get one of those gifts. Somebody hands it to you, and you're going, "Oh, thank you so much!" When inside you're thinking, "Really, what were you thinking?" You know, but because overall, I mean, you yeah, know, everybody misses once in a while. But overall, you know, I mean, they love you and so they wanted to do something good for you. And, and you learn to trust in that. But a lot of us in, in, in the Christian faith, sometimes I wonder how much we trust in God. Because I get these questions a lot. What, what do I need to do? You know, what, what am I supposed to do? And, it, and it's a lot harder to tell people, well, you know, it's really not so much about what you need to do. It's about who you are. And where's your relationship with Christ? Because that's a much more complex matter. So the scholar says, well, Jesus, what do do I need to do? Because, you know, Jesus, I'm not not really sure I trust you. So you tell me what I need to do because I can control that. And Jesus, uh, you know, he has this wonderful way of responding to things when People are asking things and questions like this. So he comes back instead of saying, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. He comes back and he says to the scholar, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? The scholar said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asks, and, and just how would you define neighbor? Um, now, now, when Jesus says do it, remember, he's talking about loving God with all you are and everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. Not, not a list of things to check off, but, but a relationship and a life. It's more complex than that. But he, he does that, and the scholar knows what the scripture says. And so Jesus says, okay, well, you already know it. Just go do it and and, and you're good. And, and, but, but then he comes back. Oh well, but you know, how would you how would you define that? Have you ever done that? God calls you to do something. And he said, oh, well, that's great, God, but well, do you really mean this? Exactly. Can you can you narrow that? Can you define that for me? I want you to get it in a nice box, so I know I, exactly what I'm supposed to do here. Can you kind of make that really clear for me? We get that all the time. With with, uh, we get into the season. Where we're talking about generosity, and and people say, you know, well, you know, you talk about a tithe. I mean, do I tithe on my net income? Do I tithe on my gross income? Do I include this in my tithe? Do I include that in my tithe? How much is a tithe? Real? I mean, we get all these kind of questions. It's kind of like. Oh my gosh! How do we how do we get all this defined? Because you know, heaven forbid that we do more than what we have to. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it? How do you how do I define my neighbor? I mean, is it the guy next door to me, or is it the guy on the other side of that, or is it the guy on, how many houses out do I go before I'm out of, out of I'm not talking about my neighbor anymore? Because heaven forbid that I should love someone who's not my neighbor. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we, we want to do the least we have to do. What's the least I can kind of get by with? How can I define this? I, I don't want to waste any time unnecessarily loving someone I don't have to love. So how do, I, how do I define that? Isn't that interesting? That the commandment says, love God with all you are. Love God with everything. I mean, the, the command is, you know, to, to, to go all in. To do the most possible, to love God as far as you can and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's, it's not a do the least bit possible, it's to do the most possible. It's not how can I get by with the least amount, it's, it's how can I go all in? And, and so the scholar comes back and says, oh, Jesus, how, you know, what's, what's the least I can do? How can I define this and make sure I'm not wasting any effort, you know, anyone I don't have to waste effort on? And again, Jesus, who's this masterful teacher, instead of saying, oh my gosh, you're really thick on this, aren't you? Uh, He comes back and he tells a story, a very familiar story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Not really so lucky, huh? Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar, responded. And Jesus said, Go and do the same. So the man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's attacked and he's beaten and left by the side of the road. And, and you have two good religious people coming by, the priest and the Levite, and, and they avoid him. They go to the other side of the road and they walk around him. Now, now there's been a lot of uh, commentary on this written saying, well, you know, they were going to Jerusalem, for all we know, they were going up there to perform religious duties at the temple, and so they couldn't, couldn't deal with him because to, to deal with him and get the blood and everything on him would have made them ritually impure, impure, and so they couldn't have fulfilled their religious duties up in the temple. And to that, I just want to say hogwash, you know? I'm sorry, every good Jewish person of the day and age would have known that, that caring for someone like this is more important than their duties at the temple. And there's plenty of places in Scripture to back that up. So They, they would have known that. They, they just they saw him and, and either they didn't care or they didn't want to become involved, and that our great phrase, oh, I don't want to become involved. Or perhaps they were afraid. You know, maybe the robbers are still around. Maybe if I stop to help this guy, they're, they're going to rob me too. But they go on by. And then the Samaritan comes along. Now, you know, Samaritans and Jews don't get along very well with each other at this point in time. They have disagreements about some religious beliefs and where they should worship and how they should worship. And, and to say they disagree with each other is really a pretty gross misunderstanding. Uh, they, they, they were, there was a lot of animosity there, a lot of hostility between those two groups. And so the Samaritan passes by. And we assume the man on the road is a Jew, although we're not told that. But this Samaritan passes by and he sees him laying there. And Peterson says his heart went out to him. He had compassion. That's the word we would use. He had compassion. His heart went out to him. And he just couldn't leave him there. And so whatever the risk involved in in taking care of him, whatever the cost was, he, he just couldn't turn his back on him. And he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, gives the man two coins. Enough to put the man up for about a week. Gives the man two coins and says, whatever he needs, you take care of it. When I'm on my way home, coming back out of Jerusalem, uh, I'll stop and pay anything else that he owes. Just put it on my bill. Now, that's just this open-ended contract. You know, we don't do that hardly ever, do we? I mean, um, you know, somebody comes to work on your house and what you get a bid. This is how much it cost. You need repairs on your car, you, you, you get a bid. This one, somebody's going to paint something, you get a bid, and, and this is what it's going to cost. And if it's going to be more than that, they have to call you and get permission to, to do more, right? And this is how we do it. We want to we know ahead of time what it's going to cost. We just don't have that kind of open-ended uh, uh, contract with people. The only one I can think of that's, that's open-ended like that on a regular basis right now is when we get married, and that's an open-ended covenant. I celebrated a 50th anniversary with someone last night. Got to, to renew their vows, so that was on my mind. But, but, but you know, I mean, it's just, it's just open-ended. Whatever he needs, just do it. And when I come back, I'll pay for it. This open-ended generosity. And how often are we willing to do that? To just say, okay, yeah, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, that's what I'll do, God. So then Jesus, having told the story, he turns to the, to the gentleman that stand there, the scholar, and he says, so, so which one of these three, which one of these three was, was the neighbor to this man? Which one of these three? Now, now normally, under normal circumstances, and 90% of the time, that gentleman would have identified as his neighbor either the priest or the Levite because they were like him. Jewish, good people, I mean, he understood that. But Jesus has just told this story where someone who is so different and actually who he probably under normal circumstances would not even want to associate with and would look down his nose upon is the one who's had compassion. And he's forced to say, oh, the Samaritan. And Jesus said, I mean, it's that open-ended generosity. You know, sometimes your neighbor isn't, isn't just... The least of these. It's sometimes it's not just the guy next door to you. Sometimes it's not the guy that looks like you, or sounds like you, or dresses like you, or uses the same language as you are. You know, sometimes sometimes your neighbor is somebody really different, but but it's open-ended generosity. And the scholar just has to say, yeah. He probably didn't like to say it. He probably didn't want to admit it. And you notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. He doesn't use the you know. He says the one who showed him kindness. You know, can't even speak the name. But he has to admit it. And, and then Jesus says, okay, well then, uh, go and go and do likewise. Now here's the interesting thing with this parable that, that doesn't always come across. If you take this parable in the original language and you lay it out grammatically structured. What Jesus is really saying when he says this to the man is, okay, so if you want to know who your neighbor is, if you want to have that defined, and be sure you're going to the right person, then go get yourself beat up and see who comes and helps you. That's literally what the parable says. You know, if it's important to you to be sure that you never expend any effort or or spend any money or or share any love with anyone outside of who you want to think of as your neighbor, and, and you want to be sure you know who that person is, then wait till life beats you up, either physically or metaphorically. Wait till life beats you up and see who comes to your aid. And that's the person. But the other understanding of this that the rabbis picked up on and that the early church picked up on was Jesus was also saying this. If you want to love your neighbors yourself with this kind of open ended generosity, the way the Samaritan did, if you want to, to, to go all in without limits, then you go and you love with open ended generosity, just the way that Samaritan did. You know, one is, a, one is a very narrow risk. <laughs> just, just do the least I can do, you know, just my, the people I want to do it with and all that. And the reward is, is very small. And the other is a much more open-ended risk and a lot of, of danger and possibly cost involved. But the reward is great. And which do we choose? So in the late 80s in Corpus Christi, in my uh, small group, my major reunion group, One of our members shared with us that he had uh, uh, been diagnosed with AIDS. In the late 80s, we didn't have the medications we have now, so I want to be really clear. I don't want to make anybody freaked out, but it was a whole different scene. We didn't have the kind of medications and and the ability to deal with that like we can now. Uh, We didn't have the knowledge of the disease that we have now. We didn't understand it very well, and there was a lot of fear around that. And so he shared with us that he had AIDS, And he asked us in our small group if we would be willing to be his caregivers. You see, over the past several uh, years of his life, uh, some of his lifestyle choices and so forth had been such that his family had pretty much abandoned him. And even after he he changed that and changed those choices, uh, his family still would have nothing to do with him. And we were very much aware of that. And so he came to us, knowing that he was going to die, and said, would you be my caregivers? I said, I, I, I'm Noah, this is a big ask, so I'm, I'm take some time and think about it. And at that time, Ashland was two years old, uh, and I went home and, and had a conversation with Cindy. We were both very nervous. We didn't know uh, what all this would involve, but we knew as things progressed that you know, it would involve some fairly intimate kind of tasks that, that there would be some exposure uh, and you know, I have this young child at home, uh, and she's worried about that. I'm worried about that. All of us were worried about that, and, and uh, we came back together a few days later, though this this small group, and and we said, okay, we, we've all we've thought about it and we've prayed about it, and we all felt that God called us to do this, and so we became His care group. Uh, we picked up his medications, uh, we cleaned his house, we cooked. Uh, We cleaned up things around the place, and as time progressed, we cleaned him up. Um, It was both very gut-churning and emotionally difficult. Um, It was also very intimate and at times very honoring. It seemed like it went on forever. It really was only a few weeks uh, that we were involved in that. Uh, but a few days before he died he he called us back in his room we were all there that evening we'd fixed dinner and everything and he called us back in his room and he said as as I went into this he says i want to thank you guys he says my greatest fear in all of this has been that i would die alone and you guys have been the hands of christ for me he died a few days after that we were his pallbearers at his funeral And and the next time we all got back together after that, we all said, "You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything that that I felt more honored to do. I I don't think I've ever done anything that felt more powerful or more rich, or well, I, I felt more immersed in God's love." And to this day, it's still one of the richest things I've ever done. It was risky, and it was scary. But it was powerful and it was rich. So I want to ask you, <laughs> I want to ask you in your, in your life of faith, where you're at. I mean, are, are, you, are you wanting to stay kind of down on the shallow end? You know, where the risk is low and the reward is not that great? Or is God maybe calling you out to the deep end of the pool? Where the risk is greater? But the reward is so rich. And all these years later, when I get together with those guys and we share, we talk about that. And every one of them would get up here with me on this platform today and tell you that at that time, we took a really good risk. Let's pray. Mm. Father, we come and we confess to you that sometimes we would rather take matters into our own hands uh, than lean into you. We would rather have a list of things to do than, than to work on who we are and our relationship with you and our brothers and sisters. We would rather have it defined narrowly and, 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 and do what is safe <laughs> than, than, than launch out into those risky kind of places you call us to. So we ask you to come and surround us in your love. To move us from that uh, what's the least we have to do mindset to to how can we be all in kind of thinking and feeling. To move us to that place where we're willing to, to lean into you and to trust you. To know that when we move to the deeper end of the pool, you're going to hold us up. To be willing to love with open-ended generosity to take that good risk so that we might be immersed in the richness of your love. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. (coughs)